0: Amen, you may be seated, and I do invite you to turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin to Matthew chapter 2. This morning we will conclude our look at the birth and early year narrative of Jesus Christ. To this point, we have realized how God has provided much for us in Jesus Namely, a savior, a king, and a promise keeper. And today we will conclude our Advent series by seeing how God provides a name for Jesus. This may sound like something we've already covered to this point, and you would be correct. We have learned many names of Jesus over the past three weeks. But this final location... And this final name sets Jesus on a trajectory that really will help establish his ministry. Identity was very important in biblical times and especially so for the prophetic life of Jesus. As we conclude this narrative, I want you to consider just how much where we live influences who we are, how we act, what we think, what we like, what we don't. As we do that, we'll see that the same is true and can be said of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning as I read for us from Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 19 and read through verse 23. But when Herod died, behold... And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever, and he's promised it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. Let us once again go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, Every detail in your word down to the pronouns used, down to the order of events you have promised are good, are from you, for your glory and for our benefit. And so as we see the end of one season of life for Jesus... I pray that we would look at it with open minds and hearts and ears and eyes, that we might not just hear and see this morning, but that we might believe this can only be done through your Holy Spirit. And so we ask through your spirit, O Lord, awaken us today. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for the name given to Jesus and the importance of it, not only for his ministry, but for our very lives. I pray that you would bless this time and you would receive all of the glory. In Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. If you really think about it, the early years of Jesus's life were marked by visits and change. Shepherds, wise men, and others all came to declare this wonderful thing that had happened in the birth of Jesus Christ. Joseph and Mary moved from region to region from Bethlehem to Egypt to Galilee, in order to protect Christ's life. And all the while, each stop fulfills specific prophecies and promises given in the Old Testament. Change was a constant for the newborn and infant Jesus, and yet we can assume, as far as he knew, things were normal. His parents bore the burden of caring for these dangerous situations, While he was comforted, cared for, loved, and raised like any other child of his time would have been. His earthly father and mother took seriously the task given to them by the angelic visits. That they would parent the Savior and coming King. And we know that they succeeded in this. If we were to continue into Matthew's account, if we turned into Matthew 3, we would read, Time is past, and John the Baptist is proclaiming his message, a message of preparation, a message of, Here comes the King, here comes the Savior. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus comes onto the scene as an adult, beginning his three year ministry upon the earth. The time had come. For Jesus to find His final place before this ministry kicks off. We get a gap in time where He will get His final set of instructions and upbringing from His parents here in Nazareth as a Nazarene. And this is important. This is very important for the life and for the ministry of Jesus. So much so, I want us to see this this morning. We're going to look at each of those um, in turn. First, I want us to see why Jesus was living in Galilee. We're going to talk about that through verses 19 to 21. And then secondly, I want us to consider why he was called a Nazarene. Why was this an important fact? Knowing that Matthew does not throw around facts or details without purpose. We'll consider that from verses 22 and 23. And both of these will bear upon his ministry. And so to understand this, we will better understand the entirety of Christ's ministry here on earth. Let's dig in, shall we, by beginning with verse 19. And for the last three sermons, one of the main points of focus has been upon Herod. And rightly so. Herod is an integral figure to the early life of Jesus, especially in Matthew's account. He was startled to hear of Christ's birth. And when the Magi came to him, he was unprepared and unaware of what took place. He had to go to the priest. He had to go to the scribes. He had to have someone bring in the history books and tell him, what does this mean? He then sought Jesus, not out of love, but out of fear and out of hatred, going so far as to slaughtering the male children, two years old and younger, in Israel and the surrounding area in order to rid himself of this potential problem. Herod became more and more hostile toward the end of his life and his reign, and he did whatever he could to hold on to power, to hold on to his legacy, to hold on as much as he could. But what is the beauty of God's word? What do we read next in the narrative? And then Herod the king died. His life came to an end. As hard as he held on, as as tightly as he grasped his reality or what he wanted it to be, his life came to an end because God ordains each day of our life. And he would live no longer than God had ordained for him. He would not escape the sovereignty of God. This should have been good news for Jesus and for his family because Herod was looking for Jesus. However, Herod's son, Herod Archelaus, took over... And sought to continue in his father's footsteps. Historians tell us that um, Herod Archelaus was equally as tyrannical as his father. In fact, one of the first acts that um, Archelaus does is he slaughters about 3,000 temple worshipers while he is being confirmed as king. He's not even confirmed at that point. He's waiting on Caesar to get a report back and some people make him mad and about 3,000 people died to make his point that I am in charge, it is me. So it's during that time that Joseph gets another dream. Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life is dead. And we noted last week that the, the flight to Egypt was fulfilling a prophecy. The flight to Egypt reminded the Israel people of Exodus. It reminded them of how God brought them out of that time of terror. It would make sense, though, that Jesus' ministry, his, his last years of education would happen in Israel. Because His, his primary audience, His first goal was to the Jewish people. And so, as we will later come to see, most of Jesus' early ministry happens in Galilee, the place where he was raised, the place where he grew up, the place that he would call home. Specifically, inside the region of Galilee, he would be at Nazareth. And the prophet Isaiah foresaw that Jesus would come from Galilee Again, Matthew is all about filling prophecy in, closing in those gaps for us. He tells us in Isaiah 9, "...there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in latter times, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." And so when we see that Jesus makes the move to Galilee, in some ways it's to honor those tribes who at a time brought contempt to the Lord, who for a time were the, the focus of God's scorn. And God says, you, O oh Jesus, will come from Galilee, the land beyond the Jordan. It will be glorious and be called Galilee of the nations. And yet at the same time, this is going to further condemn those tribes and those people. Because what do they do when that Savior comes and ministers? How do they respond when he preaches and teaches? How do they react when he tries to serve and love them? He's, he's run out of his own hometown. They don't receive his message further showing that they have hardened their hearts against their God. And so Galilee is important for us. It's important for the life and ministry of Jesus. But it's also important that Jesus specifically landed in Nazareth. This would have been significant simply due to the contempt that most Jewish people had for the town. Many would see Nazareth as a place heavily influenced by Gentiles. And we know in our biblical history that Jews and Gentiles often did not get along for a true Israelite, for a true Jew. In fact, it was not appropriate to interact with Gentiles at all. In fact, they avoided it at all cost. And yet this town seems to be intermixed between people of different groups. And so Jesus is born in a place like that. Well, what does that say about his ministry? Yes, his primary task, his his primary goal was to minister to the Jewish people. But what did they do? They rejected him. And he said, I I will share this gospel farther and wider than you could ever imagine. I will go to the Gentiles. This message will, will spread to them. And if we're honest, has been doing from the beginning. But specifically, but clearly, we see it in the New Testament. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. As again and again, the Jews reject him and the Gentiles receive him. We see that in its seed form here in this little town, this, this town of mixed backgrounds, this town where the Jews looked at with contempt just like they would Jesus Christ. In fact, this is very foretelling for who he would be. We know how much the Jewish people disliked uh, this town when in Matthew's gospel we get the calling of the disciples and um, Nathaniel is told that Jesus, the one who is to come, is from Nazareth. And he responds to that call to come and see this man. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip tells him, come and see. The answer being yes. Yes, indeed, good can come out of Nazareth. This sets the stage for our Messiah. He was born in a stable to a young mother. He spent his earliest years fleeing for his life. He returned to his people And then grew up in the most inconspicuous town in an unliked, ignored region. This couldn't be further from the narrative that kings of that time would have been treated. They would have been locked away in a palace. They would have had their own attendance. They would have been um, allowed to see specific people at specific times for specific purposes. They would have had everything they needed. At a very call, people would come and take care of every single aspect of their lives. But this is not the case with Jesus. In fact, this makes Jesus relatable to us. He was not tucked away in a palace, seen to like many would have been. He had a real childhood with real struggles. When the writer of Hebrews later says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We can trust those words. Jesus truly does understand your hardship and your difficulties. If all of the moving, if all of the death threats were not enough, let's remember, during his earthly ministry, he continues this pattern. He, in fact, will later say, I have no home to lay down my head. Spending the latter of his years homeless. Just with the 12 along his side. And even one of those from early years with a hard heart, a sinful heart, sought to take his place and to betray him. Jesus Christ, a child of Nazareth, of the region of Galilee, cares for you. It's not hard to, to know Jesus and to want to know Jesus because we read of his story. And it's not something that's so separate, so foreign to us that we can't see it. You and I can understand these struggles. We can understand these difficulties. We can understand what it would have been like for many of us have migrated. I've said before, I've yet to meet a a truly native Midwesterner. I've met a few. Um, I'll correct that statement, but not many. Most of us migrate here from somewhere else. And so we understand what it's like to go from place to place. We see beauty in that in our God. Jesus provides one who can sympathize with us in our affliction. He becomes more loving and lovable due to the situations he found himself in. And this continues to be true as we consider the final name given to Jesus in this narrative. Let's look at our second section to see why not just important that he was from Nazareth, but that he was called a Nazarene. The reputation of Archelaus, as we just said, was known at this point. He had a tendency to cruelty. And we understand Joseph's fear. We, we hear that. We know that Herod, his father, specifically wanted him dead. That King Archelaus wanted a lot of people dead because he was unstable. And we see why there would be some hesitancy as to where we live and move. We can see where Joseph was cautious where he landed with his family. We read in Matthew's account, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and resided in a town called Nazareth. We're told that this called. To Jesus, or this caused Jesus to be called a Nazarene in accord with the prophets. There's a problem with that statement. I'm always very hesitant to issue problems from the biblical text, but there is one. We cannot find that statement in the Old Testament. We can't find a prophet that gives this declaration. And at, at, at first glance, we may go, oh no, Matthew. You have down to every letter, every detail, specifically outlined everything perfectly for us to this point, and you just messed up here, buddy. You, you really needed to maybe not make that statement or just give us our reference point, always cite your sources. And if we were not careful, if we left it right here, we would be in a problem. Thankfully, um, many commentators um, have seen to this and we understand through a deeper study that this is not a problem at all. That there's one, if not two, and possibly both, reasons or rationales as to why this statement is made and how it applies to Jesus. So what we're going to do now is try to understand each of these, and I believe that we will be blessed by it. And one of the easiest ways to start this study is to look at the word itself, Nazareth. Nazareth. What does it mean? Where does it come from? Most scholars take the root of that word, the the Hebrew word nezer or branch. They understand it as to branch out or to reach out. And if that's the case, then it would draw our attention to the book of Isaiah. There's a direct tie here. Matthew could be taking us to Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, we read these words. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch, or Nezer, from his root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord." The prophet Isaiah speaks to the promised one. He speaks to a hurting nation. He promises them judgment and captivity. And yet he also promises them salvation and redemption. And that will come through this one. This, this shoot, this offspring of the line of Jesse. This Messiah spoken of here will bear fruit. Not only in his life, but in the life of others. And he will also bear all of these biblical spiritual Um, characteristics that we see in our text this gives strong evidence that Matthew is referencing this passage here as the prophetic message in his account he shall be called a Nazarene in accord with the prophets now the other possibility and equally valid in fact I think it's both I think he's referring to both of these is that Jesus is called a Nazarene not because he lived in Nazareth, but after the Nazarites of the Old Testament. The Nazarites would endure strict adherence to a Nazarite code for a season as a declaration of special service unto the Lord. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 6. You can also see it in the life of Samson. This very much could be exactly what Matthew is talking about. In fact, this is what John Calvin is convinced of. He says to that point, the reference is likely to a passage in the book of Judges. The child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Judges thirteen five. These words, no doubt, were spoken with regard to Samson. But Samson is called redeemer, deliverer of the people. Only because he himself was a type or figure of Christ. And because salvation, which was accomplished by his instrumentality, was a prelude to the full salvation for God's people seen in Jesus. And so, by seeing Jesus as one of the Nazarites of the Old Testament, much like Samson, we see him as Redeemer, Deliverer. And this helps us understand his mission and vision, doesn't it? We have said in this series names and places were significant in the Bible times and that they tell us a lot about people and their goals. Jesus came to be both of these things, both Redeemer and Deliverer for His people. He would do that through His life, death, and resurrection. He would make the payment of sin on behalf of God's people, drawing them to Himself. He would be the shoot of the stump of Jesse, reminding them that God always preserves a remnant. He keeps his people to himself. This is why it's important to see that Jesus was called a Nazarene. It tells us what he came to do and shows us as he fulfills it that he's simply doing that which was promised. Now with the time that I have left this morning, I want to answer two questions about the birth narrative as a whole. We've spent four weeks now, today included, walking through Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. And there's been a lot of focus on the humanity of Christ. Does that mean, then, that we place a lesser role on his deity? It has been heavily weighted toward his humanity. Are we elevating his humanity while de-elevating his deity? Well, hopefully and most certainly the answer to that is by no means. Um, As we just read in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8, paragraph 2, the two whole Perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? We cannot speak to the human nature of Jesus without acknowledging his deity. I do find that we tend to underappreciate his humanity. Hence the particular focus of it on um, our Christmas season and during Advent. It's necessary for both aspects to be present in order for Christ f- to fulfill the need of man while being able to live sinlessly. He can only be the second Adam and represent us due to his humanity. And he can fulfill the will of God due to his deity. Two natures, one Christ. The second question I want to ask and then answer with you this morning is simply, why? Why spend four Sundays on Advent? Well, the term Advent refers to coming or arrival. And more specifically, this refers to the first coming of Christ. And so as we ask that question, it then becomes, why spend a particular time with particular focus on the coming of Christ? That kind of helps answer it in our minds, doesn't it? When we put it in its full context. But let's, let me help us out in that. Advent is a time to consider Christ's first coming into this world. This is significant because it causes us to consider his life, his death, and the resurrection. And through that, we're drawn toward the second coming. Our minds and hearts should be ever contemplating when Christ returns. I don't know about you, but instinctively, anytime time I hear a trumpet, I get really excited and I start looking around, just in case. I cannot wait for that day to come. I cannot wait to see my Savior face to face. I cannot wait for all of this to be made new. I, I love you all and I enjoy being with you, but to do it in a perfect setting as, as heaven and eternity is going to be far better. It's going to be so much more wonderful. It is going to be, we can't even, it's hard to even comprehend. It's hard to even come to terms with how great that is going to be. It's what we will celebrate in a moment at the Lord's table. We will remember Christ's death until he comes again. That means we're looking for him to come again. And so my prayer is we have studied Advent and we've walked through this series together. We've thought about those things. And it's caused your heart to look forward to him coming Again, brothers and sisters, God and Jesus Christ provided a savior, a king, and a promise keeper. He gives to Jesus a name, many names in fact, and those were specific to Jesus. But at the same time, and I'll conclude with this, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation through the forgiveness of your sin, then you too have been provided a name. Hence the double meaning of the title for our time this morning. While we've talked about the names of Jesus, here are some of the names God calls you. Christian, child of the King, sons and daughters, blessed ones, holy, little lambs, righteous, forgiven. We are forgiven because He was forsaken. We are healed because He was afflicted. You and I are part of the family of God due to the sacrifice made on our behalf by Jesus Christ. God just as much gives us a name in Jesus as he gives to Jesus himself. And this is good news for us. This is the importance of this season. This is why we rejoice. For when Christ came into the world, that ball started down the hill. It had been going for some time, but it really fast-forwarded. The plan of salvation would be carried out. It would be completed. And no one or nothing was going to be able to stop it. So much so that just over 2,000 years later, you and I are still here together proclaiming that same message, that same news. And Lord willing, next year we'll tell the same Advent story. There's not another one. But what else would we want to talk about? What else would we want to hear As we close out this year and we look forward to the one to come with everything that's happened and we acknowledge that it's been a trying year, we should stop and thank God for what He has done and what He's going to do. Advent gives us a focus upon the first coming of Christ and causes us to think about that second. I'll close with these words. The angels tell us, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let us pray. This day, this hour, this moment, even now, right this second, O Lord, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. We know our sin. We know our shortcoming. We know how we fail your standard. We know how we miss the mark. And yet we do only thing we can do. We cling to Jesus Christ. And say forgive us O Lord. Accept his sacrifice for ours. Accept his life for ours. Give us his righteousness. Cast upon him our sin and our guilt. Call us blessed. Just as he is blessed. For we have been blessed in Christ. Lord. What a privilege it is to serve the one who was of Nazareth and called a Nazarene. Father, we thank you that specific prophecy comes to a head in Jesus Christ, that your whole word is one story of redemption. It tells of your glory. It tells of how far you were willing to go to save your people from themselves. We celebrate you in this season, in this time. We think of how much Jesus was willing to endure for each one of us. We ask that you forgive us for how often do we think it's about us when it's truly about you. Thank you, O Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time to be in it. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.